proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the Reformed Confessions of the Faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome to the Confessional Collective. Welcome to the Confessional Collective for Truth Meets Mission. My name is Aaron Carr and I'm joined by my confessional colleague, Mr. Chris Santola. Chris, how you doing, man? Ah, uh, Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing well, my friend. Wow, it is good to be back on the air. I am finally caught up after my beautiful trip to the UK. Got to spend some time with Ian Williamson. Uh, obviously, he was our last podcast and got to share in his work over there, but finally made it home and spent some time with the family, uh, i.e. the kids, and got things uh, back to normal in that regard and also uh, got caught up. It's it's funny, Chris, when you take some time off, it takes you like twice as long to get unburied. Did you ever experience that? <laughs> I have definitely experienced that. Uh, you know, going out on vacation and just thinking to myself, the my work hasn't stopped. <laughs> when I get back, it's all going to be right there smiling and waiting for me. Yes. All the emails pile up and they just wait for you. Uh, the the meetings that you had to move all around just so you could take that time off uh, mm -hmm. all of the papers and uh, study that you're required to do to stay on top of the work at hand does not uh, give you a day off in that regard it's uh, in your face and on top of you so but uh, yeah we got a lot to talk about today we got a lot to catch up on um, and uh, look at a lot has happened in the world uh, there's been some horrible bombings uh, that were going on in Texas and apparently the I don't want to say gentleman he wasn't a gentleman the uh, the the sinner there who was taking out his anger at the world uh, through through bombing um, his mm -hmm. life was taken and that just is a, it's a sad thing to see the effects of the fallen nature on a fallen world and um, those types of things just just really truly sad me when I look out there's been some shootings in schools and it just seems like when you look out over the landscape of our country things just seem to be in chaos but it's not just here I can actually testify um, there's chaos in the UK as well so it's a universal problem in it yeah yeah it is and uh, it's just heartbreaking man every time I turn on the news I'm just kind of shaking my head going oh man there's just crazy stuff going on everywhere and uh, you know and for us as Christians I think that the great thing is is that we can look at all of these things and that we don't have to despair uh, but you know we can look to these things and understand them in biblical perspective and keep our eyes on Christ and keep to the task of mission and loving God and loving our neighbors come what may and so you know it's a good thing that uh, while we mourn with those who mourn uh, and also in other cases rejoice with those who rejoice you know that, that we are able to stay focused and uh, and not allow these things to drive us to despair yeah 
we are not to despair as those without hope, for we do have hope, and our hope is in the resurrection of Christ, uh, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 continually reminds us, as um, we are not of this world, um, uh, and so our hope is of that which is to come. So we long for that day of perfection, but we're thankful that the kingdom is here now as well. So the already not yet tension that we live in, but uh, as we as we look out over the landscape, there is much to maybe uh, force us to our knees to say, God, help us. Um, yeah. And so Amen. It, yeah, it reminds us of our of our desperate need of his intervention. So that kind of leads us into today's topic, which is about the role of, of elder in the church. And obviously, elder is a, a topic that means different things to different people, depending on their uh uh, denomination affiliation, um, depending on what you're coming from, what what uh, what order of church polity you use. But I think one of the things I really want to draw in today is that um, the role of elder is a uh, a role that is not just somebody who sits on a board and acts as an executive, but mm-hmm. is actually a, a spiritual shepherd of God's people. And with all of the crisis that you see in the world. The role of shepherd is an important one. Um, people are battling their own sin, um, the sin that that is within them, as uh, they have inherited from the fall of Adam, uh, the original sin that finds itself out uh, in, in in actual sins they do. So there's uh, the spiritual shepherding that um, comes through discipleship, through uh, church discipline, um, those through teaching and instruction. But then there's also the, the, the shepherding of protecting the flock from false teachers. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's obviously then also the shepherding of, um, of leading God's people uh, to greener paths um, and uh, to the still waters that Christ provides. And so there's, there's a lot of work to be done there. There's a lot for us to unpack today. But I guess um, first... Let's just talk a little bit about the perspective of plurality of elders. That's something that I think is a foundational thing. Even as we begin to talk about what an elder does, the one of the the things that I think is important that can't be missed is that the work of uh, of shepherds is is done in a plurality. We see that in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. I know that may mm-hmm. be a jump for some of our listeners who come maybe more from a, a Baptist background or a, a non-denominational background, but um, the plurality of elders is something that is, at least from my opinion, is, is a rich heritage that has passed on from the Reformed tradition and understanding um, that we're not, we don't have to do this alone. Um, and again, I will, I will stress it comes from the Old Testament and is seen as the New Testament. But Chris, do you want to speak to that a little bit about the importance maybe of, of the, uh, the plurality of eldership? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're told that, uh, you know, Paul went around and appointed elders in all of the cities uh, where, where churches were being planted. There were a, a multiplicity of elders uh, that he was coming in and raising up, discipling, equipping Uh, and uh, ultimately leaving in those cities to govern the life and ministry of the church. And so in some of these situations where you have a a church where maybe there's one person that, uh, and it seems odd even for me to even think about it in those kind of terms, 
but that w- would hold that kind of a, a title of elder, overseer, pastor. Uh, I think you're you're running up against the grain of the New Testament, which seems to clearly say, and the Old Testament as well, uh, as it describes the the roles of the various uh, leaders there, where <clears throat> uh, there is a plurality of spiritual leadership. And I think that's important for a lot of reasons. Um, this is not a, uh, a monarchy in the sense, well, it's a monarchy in the sense that Jesus reigns as head of his church. Amen. But as far as the local church is concerned, uh, there is not one person who is running this whole thing. Uh, it's not up to just one person's decision on everything. And, uh, you know, I've seen in the past uh, particular churches where uh, even though they had a board that had multiple board members, in some cases I think they even shied away from calling them elders, uh, which is probably fine because I'm not really sure they were qualified biblically to be elders anyway, but that's a different story, um, where uh, you know basically whatever the lead pastor that said, that was it. Yeah. And in some cases I actually would see when the lead pastor would get disagreed with by someone else on the board, it would come down to, well, I think it's time for you to resign, buddy. And, uh, you know, and so I'm like, what is this, a board of yes men? Uh, you're basically here to fulfill the requirements of the state for the corporation. Uh, and so that kind of thing, radically unbiblical. Uh, and ultimately, I believe, being unbiblical, it is radically hurtful to the life and ministry of the church. You're bringing up some good points. I think that we need to kind of flesh out a little bit. There's there's a sense in which it seems like things would move a lot faster, a lot more simply, just to have one person in charge. But going back to our opening statement, um, total depravity and the fall, uh, the fallen nature of man is a real deal. We're we're all mm-hmm. impacted. Every aspect of who we are, our our hearts, our minds. Um, our hands are all affected by the fall, and to believe that we can lead um, without sin interfering is foolishness. And to have the plurality guards against that. Um, the dangers of the idea of just having one person in charge and they make the decision is, uh, I think, dangerous for that very reason. Um, one of the things, as you well know, we're, we're heavily into church planning. We're always uh, trying to identify the gifts and the abilities of these planners as we assess them and prepare them and send them out. But we want to send them with um, a team around them and not just a team to help them work in the ministry of, of planting churches, but uh, a, a transitional elder board. Uh, made up of other uh, pastors and and leaders. Um, in my in my tradition, we have ruling elders and teaching elders, and so sometimes some of our ruling elders will sit on some of these other uh, church plants as a as a transitionary period until that church plant draws up and and uh, and and identifies and develops uh, those future leaders. Because we believe very clearly, as gifted as this church planner may be, as the talents and the skills that God has gifted him with. And and the work and the passion and the zeal he has, he's still a sinner just like the rest of us. And he cannot be autonomous. He cannot be a bishop. He has to have other men uh, pushing and poking into him. And we believe that that plurality is necessary even there. So 
Um, I don't know if you got any more you want to push in on. Obviously, the Old Testament, you see the elders, plural, sitting at the city gates. Um, mm-hmm. You see that in Proverbs 31, even as uh, her, the uh, picture there is of, of, the, of, the, of the godly woman and, and that her husband is at the, at the city gates as one of the elders, plural. And so there is definitely this concept. It goes rooted all the way back with Moses and the advice he got from Jethro. I'll never forget um, one time when I was dealing with that, somebody taking the idea, well, that was unbiblical advice that Jethro gave <laughs> Moses. <laughs> and it was an individual who was trying to defend his, uh, his unique position as, quote unquote, a, a solo leader of the church. And I don't believe it was unbiblical. Nowhere are we told that Jethro's advice right. was unbiblical. Uh, and in fact, Moses receives it and uses it. And you see that model carried out from that point forward in the Bible. So it's just funny how, um, we have our biases and man, we'll, we'll even go to war against the scriptures <laughs> to defend our, our, uh, yeah. our slanted views. So again, just another case why we got to have to be careful and we need other people speaking in. So well, I think right along with that comes down. I mean, so we were establishing there needs to be a plurality of eldership. It's not a one-man show. Uh, there needs to be, in any local church congregation, multiple elders serving together uh, and working together. And uh, and as you began by saying today, they have a particular role. They have a particular function there in the local church. And it is often not what... I have seen uh, many elders and elder boards uh, doing and functioning as. And so I want to get into that, too, as we start talking about the, uh, the qualifications for elders. Um, there, there are certain things that the New Testament is really clear about. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, both lay out qualifications for elders. So why don't we get into that? Take us there. All right. Uh, I wanted to begin over in Titus, where uh, Paul there says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. So there you have that multiplicity. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Uh, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, uh, for an overseer... As God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So right there, uh, Paul, you know, speaking to Titus, he gives him a number of qualifications, both the negative and the positive things that they are not to be and things that they are to be that qualify a man as uh, possibly an elder in the church. Um, now these things are, for on the one hand, these are things that we all ought to aspire to be. Uh, I think every Christian ought to aspire to uh, to fit these types of uh, this type of uh, description. However, for eldership, this is essential. 
Um, it, it's not a multiple choice. It, it's not a best nine out of 10. Uh, this is something where all of these must be in place uh, for someone to be considered for the office of eldership. Uh, what do you think? No, I, I think the word I want to use here is you can be disqualified uh, from elder, from the position of elder in your church. Uh, one of the one of the dangers you often see, especially in ch- older churches, maybe that have been around a while, or even new church plants, the tendency is to gravitate to somebody who always oh, a good businessman. Uh, let's grab him because he's obviously going to be a good elder. Yeah. But but this gives us a benchmark of what is uh, needs to be met to be an elder. One of the things that really God has spoken over to in my and to me in the sense of through His Word and and as I've times that I've studied is that somebody who's qualified to be an elder in the church isn't just someone who's running a business well, but meets these qualifications. And the way you see this is you see this in His home. You see this mm-hmm. in the way he deals with his neighbors, his unbelieving uh, uh, relatives. You see this in the way he disciples others. And yeah. if and if they're not doing those things well, which is really kind of the his own personal life, his his family life, his his outward uh, relationship with the world, he isn't discipling and shepherding others up. Then he's not qualified. Because uh, times we'll make, we'll see people just being willing to dismiss aspects of these qualifications and say, well, he's a really good guy and we really need his business sense. Right. Or we really need his money understanding if we're going to make it as a church. And it's like, are you depending on God or are you depending on man? You know, yeah. and, and I think too often uh, we have the wrong slanted view. God has set the standard of those who should lead his church. I would remind everyone that. Uh, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because of his disobedience in striking the rock when he was supposed to speak to it the second time. God has a standard of what he expects for those um, whom he is calling um, to these these uh, areas of, of responsibility. Yeah. And so I just want to keep all that in front of us and say these uh, listing of qualifications, as you've already stated and in, 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 uh, in, in both Timothy and, and in Titus, are given to us to help us understand those who qualify and those who are disqualified from this role of elder. And we can't let the wrong benchmarks be used. It is dangerous. It is death to the church yeah. um, when, when we get those things out of whack. I've seen the same thing where it becomes, uh, you know, well, these guys, you know, uh, good businessmen. And, uh, and, you know, I've even heard it said that, uh, you know, someone would say, you know, I, I'm, I'm really looking for guys that are just, uh, you know, they're good guys, you know, got good character and uh, but don't necessarily meet other qualifications, biblical qualifications for eldership. And it really is based off of man's wisdom. It's largely, I think, due to a lot of the corporate business model church stuff that has saturated evangelicalism in America. And, you know, if your elders are merely corporate board members, they're, they're just good businessmen, uh, then if that's what the board is, is just a corporate board, not an elder board, not a spiritual uh, 
entity in the church given by God to oversee and guide and bless the church spiritually, then the church is going to turn into a, a business. It's going to be viewed as a commodity, and the people are going to treat it as a commodity. Um, all of this has effects that trickle down through the life and ministry of the church, which is why what we're talking about is so important. Whether you're a church planner and you're just starting out, or you're revitalizing a church that is near death, or just trying to help a church stay the right course, let me encourage you, uh, in my own experience, and, and this comes from the research and study, um, you can look at Mark Dever, um, you can look at um, uh, the writings of, of uh, man, there's just so many people I want, I mean, I could list in this, in this, in this specific area we're talking about. There are certain key principles that are essential to a healthy church. And the reason I brought up Mark Dever, you think of the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church book. Mm -hmm. um, one of those is your constitution. For, for us in the Confessional Collective, we understand that constitution to be a confession. And, and those guardrails allow the, the laity to hold the pastor and it allows the pastor to hold the laity all accountable. And that is, constitution is important. That is also important regarding your, your spiritual shepherds. When I say you look at just not as the preaching elder, but as the whole elder board, they're all held accountable to that theological standard or position. But, you're, but it's also imperative, not just that you have the right constitution, you need to make sure that you have the right membership. And what I mean by that is you, you suffered in some of these churches that are being revitalized, you have to go through those roles and clean up those roles. As you're starting a church plant, you have to make sure that, that you actually have membership and you can hold these people accountable that are joining with you because you've been given a spiritual responsibility of oversight yeah. these people. So that's yeah. another category is membership constitution, membership. The third major category that I would say is important for church planning as well as church revitalization is eldership. And all three of those are important. Membership, constitution, uh, i.e. confession, and eldership. We got to make sure we have the right leaders. Um, and, and it can't just be based upon, again, what we've already beaten dead horse here, a good businessman. And it also, even if the guy is great in the church, good communicator, good, a good Bible teacher, man, he's discipling other men. Is he leading his own children well? Is he, mm -hmm. is, is, he, is, he, is he defeating sin in his life? Is he putting sin to death? Or is he, uh, is he watching porn on, on the internet? These are things we truly have to explore as we look at the qualifications for elders. And I, th I think we can't miss this. this yeah. is, these, are, these are three key principles, whether you're planting a church, maintaining a healthy church, or revitalizing what could be a dead church. And so I just want to encourage you, again, uh, church membership, constitution or confessionalism, and uh, obviously eldership as we're, as we're beaten here. So Yeah, and one of the things I think we're kind of touching on here that I want to focus in on is the elder board is to be a team of shepherds. Uh, it's not—and this is one of the things I, I see in this is— it is the responsibility of the elders as God's steward. Uh, they are a steward of the church. They are a steward of the, the word of God to the church. They are the teachers, the instructors. They are the keepers of doctrine. Uh, they are the ones responsible, as it says here, to be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, so 
they have got to be doctrinally knowledgeable, obviously able to teach. Uh, they've got to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Uh, you know, Hebrews describes them as those who will give account for the souls of those under their care. So this is a spiritual stewardship. Um, and there's other things, obviously, that are mentioned here above reproach. They've got to be thought well of of outsiders. They're not arrogant, quick-tempered. Uh, they're not given to much wine. Uh, they're not violent or a bully. Uh, they're not greedy for gain. Uh, they're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Uh, all of these are qualifications for shepherds. The elder board is a shepherd team. And uh, you just, know, just, uh, just go back for a second, Chris, to, to what you're talking about. Rewind about, that. Yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> but but you, I mean, because you gave a lot there, and I, I want to make sure we're hitting these pieces. The biblical doctrine aspect a person who's serving as a spiritual shepherd of God's flock, yeah. are you able to identify orthodox teaching versus unorthodox? Are you able to identify heresy? <laughs> uh, are you able to truly protect the sheep, the sheep from, from dangerous, uh, 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 polluted uh, food? And, and, and can you make sure that you can identify wolves? And those who would come to lead God's people astray, you have to be able to handle the word of God rightly. That cannot be overstated. I think sometimes we make it uh, a big deal in the sense that they need to be apt to teach. Well, apt to teach deals primarily, yes, I, I, with communication and, and those things, but, but not solely with the ability to communicate, but the knowledge, the knowledge to discern truth from error. And again, a help in a church that's confessional is the confession. So your elders have to be um, uh, cutting their teeth um, on the confession. And, and my hope is that elders aren't just uh, aware you have a confession, but they're studying right. it, they're learning <laughs> it, they're knowing it, they're memorizing the shorter catechism in a Presbyterian case, they're, they're reading and studying the larger catechism, they're, they're listening to expositions on the, on the confession of faith so that they're uh, really digesting truth so that when they hear falsehood, they can identify it and they can correct it on spot. That's how you protect the sheep. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, and with that comes the backbone also and the spiritual fortitude to rebuke those who contradict it. Uh, to, on the one hand, you've got to be able to know sound doctrine, identify false doctrine and be willing to confront those who contradict it. I've seen situations where, you know, people in eldership just they didn't want to deal with it. They, they didn't want to address false doctrine or, or deal with people that were spreading false teaching. And it spreads, as the scriptures say, like gangrene throughout the church. Uh, and this is why, you know, as we get into this, I just think to myself, this is so important. Uh, th this is the, uh, a foundational element to the local church, to the life of the church, to the ministry of the church. Uh, we can't take these things lightly. Um, you have to you know, be able. You have to be able to take truth and share it with others, and that and that teaching ability is not simply can they preach from a pulpit, can they can they publicly uh, proclaim the truth, but can they take that truth and apply it with grace to uh, the wounded sheep, 
Um, yeah. One of the one of the languages that I've been using a lot with my own people is the idea is we got to stop looking at people as 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 flat characters in a story and understand that they're round characters. There's 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 a third dimension to who they are uh, because too often we quickly assess somebody and we just assume like that guy who's sitting there in the in the in the in the congregation with his arms folded he's just a crotchety old man and we're not taking into consideration who he is his hurts, uh, his needs, and how we apply the truth of the gospel to him. And I think that is important in those individuals that you're raising up to be elders and those individuals that you're placing into uh, into the to the role of shepherd is that they have a responsibility to feed and care and, and protect and lead God's flock well. And that requires you to understand people, to love people. And to understand people and to love people means you have to understand yourself. Isn't After all, isn't it that really at the heart of 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 the ability to minister to others is I know myself who I am I know my weaknesses I know that um, I have been impacted um, by uh, uh, things in my life that have created my worldview my biases my perspectives and so other people I have to take into consideration and so that should create a heart for those people to take that truth and and minister to them. And I, and I think this comes into the other qualifications that you've already read and mentioned, which is, that's why I shouldn't be a drunkard. That's why I need to make sure I'm caring for my family. That's why I got to make sure that I don't have any sins that uh, are not being dealt with in my own life. Because if I'm not able to handle those in me, how in the world am I going to be able to minister to somebody else? Yeah. And, you know, along the same lines, you know, I've, I've looked out over the last many years now and recognized that so much of what gets pushed on people, even in the church planting movement uh, and church growth movements, has been, you know, when you're looking for that guy that it's going to be an elder or going to be a pastor, uh, you're looking for a guy who is kind of type A, uh, you know, real kind of sharp administrator, um, you know, real entrepreneurial. Uh, you hear that a lot in church planting kind of stuff. And you know what I rarely have ever heard? You need somebody that is really a shepherd. <laughs> you you need somebody who can pastor people. Yeah. Who is really knowledgeable in in sound doctrine, who is hospitable, who who loves his people and will be in their midst. Correct and, me if I'm wrong, Chris, but if they can't minister to others, and you're not seeing that as a trait in who they are. They have no business, no business being a shepherd in God's in God's flock over God's flock. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're even you know when we talk church planting, we are not going out there trying to plant worship corporations. We're mm-hmm. going out to plant churches. Churches need shepherds. They need those who will serve as God's stewards. Uh, that will preach and teach and minister the word and disciple people in the scriptures. And, you know, and one of the things I was thinking about earlier as we were getting into this is, uh, I think one thing that maybe some of our listeners might even be thinking, especially if they've uh, been in ministry and uh, had to search for elders and look for elders to to raise up, uh, men to raise up in the congregation for eldership, is they think, Dude, what you're describing is so rare. Uh, They're so few and far between. And I agree with that. 
And listen, this is one of the reasons why serious discipleship is needed in the church, uh, and especially for men. Uh, we live in a time when we are so content with just such a, a minimal amount of discipleship. Hey, we're happy if we can get the guys going to church. Man, we need to do serious work in training up men of God that those who God has gifted to be elders in the church might be equipped to do so. Let me speak to this for a moment. I think sometimes in churches we have this idea, okay, we're already we're on board with the plurality. In fact, in our in our bylaws it says we gotta have X number, we'll say ten. And so, okay, it's 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 uh our our elders serve a, a term, their terms up, and now we need to get three new elders on. And so they're just looking for people to fill spots. Yeah. And I would say honestly, if somebody is not qualified or you can't find anybody in that congregation qualified, don't just fill spots. Serve with less men and be faithful to the scriptures because that'll have more faithful production than putting unqualified men in those places. Yeah. Putting and, unqualified people into the place of elder in the church is dangerous. Yeah. And, and let me speak too, because um, I recognize for some of this, this is really blurry because we're, we're jumping all over in the idea of church <laughs> polity. If you're not used to a Presbyterian background, there's, there's some Presbyterian churches that would have what they call a three office view, which is uh, teaching elder, ruling elder, and deacon. Some have two, just elder and deacon. Um, you know, so there's always this question, do you separate elders? And I think in a lot of Baptist contexts, it's not like that so much. But in, in the Presbyterian world, there is this idea of a ruling elder. And I think there's some good resources you can look at. Um, Samuel Miller wrote a book a number of years ago. Samuel Miller, the, the second um, uh, professor at the old Princeton uh, University, wrote a book called The Ruling Elder. And that's a really worthwhile read if you've never thought through the role of a ruling elder and the benefit that they bring to the table. And so as you look at that, you say, well, that role and those men that serve in that role, what, what do you expect of them? And I would say everything that's written in Timothy and Titus applies to them. You can't, uh, it, it, you can't take away some things and say, well, those are just ruling elders. The moment you start to say just ruling elders, you're, 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 you're already poisoning the waters of your eldership. Yeah. And so just, I just want to speak to that for a moment, and hopefully that's clear. I understand that everybody comes from that same background. And that's what I mean when we talk about elders who take a, a, a time off in rotation. And, um, and, and, and so if you're not familiar with that, uh, send all your requests to uh, Chris. He'll answer all your questions. <laughs> well, you know, one other thing I was thinking of in all of this, too, is, and obviously we're dealing with uh, people might be listening from different uh, backgrounds and polity and such, but uh, I think one of the areas where it can be detrimental to the the work of the elders in the church is kind of convoluting the the roles and the work of deacons with the role and work of elders. Um, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, elders, as we see them, especially kind of uh, described throughout the book of Acts, they're focusing on the spiritual life of the church, preaching, teaching, discipleship, uh, and such. And yeah, there are some, uh, you know, kind of uh, executive decisions, I suppose you say, that come down to the elder board. 
But when it comes down to a lot of the day-to-day tasks and things that need to be done in the church, you know, facilities and various things like this, these are things that can be delegated to the deacon board. Uh, and that the deacons can be handling those kinds of things. And that's exactly what you see taking place there in the book of Acts. Uh, and it keeps what, what's the their, elders what's their, able to be... Say, oh, what's their, what's their, what was their exact statement? Um, they didn't want to uh, take time away from prayer and the Word to serve prayer tables. Prayer and the Word, yeah. yeah. And the great thing is, is when they appointed men uh, to do that, other work, it says, and the word of God increased. Uh, and, you know, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the church, the ministry of the word, continued to thrive and increase uh, through that. And so I think it's good to kind of keep some of that clear that we don't, because look, as pastors, elders, we get distracted by all kinds of stuff that gets thrown at us. And I think we have to be diligent to make sure that uh, we don't go taking on things we shouldn't be taking on, but rather, like the apostles, say, you know, it's not good for us that we should do this. Uh, it, it's it's not that it's a bad thing, or and it's not that it's you know beneath the elder to do that. It's saying we need to keep our role in ministry in focus and yeah. not allow other things to distract us that we could be delegating to those who are called to that ministry. The, the specific text you're referring to is Acts chapter 6 for those who yes. maybe are taking notes. But I, I want to put you know accentuate your point in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the body, and, and you don't want the foot doing what the hand's doing. You don't, you know, you, you want to make sure that the hand's doing what the hand's supposed to do, the foot's doing what the foot's supposed to do. They all need each other. All the parts right. of the body need to be depending on each other to work well. And that's exactly the reason in Acts chapter 6 that the elders speak up and say, we, we can't stop the ministry of prayer and the word to, to wait on tables. It's not that they weren't willing to be servants. They were trying to deal with those, uh, the, those things that they were called to do. And so the whole body working together is an important aspect and, and, the, and the elders being um, uh, just overseeing budgets and building maintenance and those types of things. If that's all they're doing, they're, I'm not saying they, they can't have a role in some of that or oversight of that, but to say that's all they're doing, you're, you're missing the ultimate calling of shepherding God's flock. Yeah. Amen, man. You know, I, I want to spend a little bit of time on here, and we've jumped kind of all over. Uh, but one of the things I want to do is is get a tool, a useful tool, in the hands of those who are preparing to plant churches or are trying to help a church to stay faithful or in the midst of, of church revitalization. There is a book that came out um, not terribly long ago, and it's called The Shepherd Leader. If you have not read this, it was 2010, as I believe, when it came out um, by Timothy Whitmere. Whitmere. Uh, when I, I got to hear him speak at one of the um, Philadelphia uh, uh, conferences on Reformed theology, and um, I was just really blown away by this guy's passion for the church and specifically the, the responsibility of the shepherd. He has a section in there that's specifically aimed just on the calling ministry. 
And it's interesting because if you're if you're a student of Reformed theology, you're familiar with Richard Baxter and Richard Baxter's Reformed pastor and the the responsibility of the of the of the pastor to go and catechize families and do home visits. And there's a heavyweight. If I don't know if you you know Chris, I don't know. I'm sure if you've ever read that book, but oh yeah, I, re- I read it. <laughs> yeah, I remember reading that and just overwhelmed with like man, I have a lot to do here. And what I love about Whitmer is that he takes that and he takes it into the 21st century. Because one of the things he reminds us is that, yes, we have been called to shepherd those families. But remember, in Richard Baxter's day, you knew where those families were going to be. They were working in the field. (laughs) <laughs> they were at home. That's that's not the case today. In fact, how often are people home? They're not home till uh, nine or ten o'clock because they're working overtime or taking their kids to baseball and basketball. Uh, they got to play their kids in, and they're going, 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 going. And the idea of just being able to stop by isn't as easy as I would say it was in Richard Baxter's day. And I think, number two, you think about the, even the creation of what they call third space and that people want to go somewhere they can be around people, yet they also want to be by themselves. There's a sense in which we've lost the gift of hospitality. And I think part of it is shepherds learning to open their home again, have people over, invite people regularly into your home, uh, allow them to see you, disciple your children. Uh, one of the things that was really impactful for me was talking to another young couple at our church who in invited some other young couples over just to play board games and stuff, but they would invite these couples over and these couples who maybe were not married yet or they were getting married or they were pregnant would watch how they were discipling their children through uh, catechizing their kids or, or the prayer time they would have as a family, inviting them to watch and participate in their family worship. You're discipling other people that way. And to me, that's something the shepherd leader should be doing. And Whitmer addresses the idea of hospitality. But he goes back to the idea that a calling ministry, just their willingness to make a call on people. But he also ta- uh, refers to the idea of the eye check. When, when I'm at church looking for those people, making contact, these are all things a shepherd needs to do, not just watch the bottom line, not just making sure you got enough money in the bank, not just right. making sure you got the right quote unquote vision. But the shepherd is ministering God's flock. And he can tell this is a passionate aspect for me. This is something that gets my blood pressure up. It's something that's <laughs> essential for a healthy church. It's as essential. It's Notice what I said. This is as essential as having a good confession. Having good elders is as essential. And it's as, as important as having membership in your church. I'm, I'm a firm believer of those three keys. Yeah. And I'm like you, man, I am, I, I get fired up on this stuff because I am passionate about the work of the elder. Uh, I love it, man. And, you know, I've, you know, at times become so frustrated because, uh, you know, of just situations and expectations where I was being stifled from really being able to do that. And, uh, you know, I, I think this is something so thoroughly biblical and thoroughly essential to the life and ministry of the local church that it just, it it gets me excited just talking about it. 
one of the things, Chris, I want to spend a little bit of time before we we blow past this whole this whole topic and, and the time's all up is I want to talk about the responsibility of knowing the sheep and how we get to know those sheep. Mm-hmm. I've already given an example of the hospitality, inviting people in. But and, and but I really do believe to know sheep means first I have to know myself. And there has to be a self-evaluation of who I am, what I'm really at, where I'm really at. I'm not convinced a lot of, of quote-unquote, spiritual elders in the church do that self-check, um, who, who really uh, spend time with self-evaluation. And I'm not saying it's all just, uh, you know, sitting and down and, 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 and staring at the wall or looking in the mirror all day and trying to figure out where your pimples are. I mean, really <laughs> evaluating where are my strengths, where are my weaknesses, where are my blind spots, asking other people to look in. And I would say, if you're going to be able to really help remove the, the splinter from your neighbor's eye, you have to be able to identify the log in your own eye. And I, and I think to know the sheep starts with knowing ourselves, which ultimately starts with knowing God, right? I mean, that's Calvin's whole premise is right. knowing God, knowing ourselves, and then eventually being able to love our neighbor. There is no true knowledge of self apart from knowledge of God. Yeah. So I just speak that to a little bit from your perspective of the importance of how people can know their sheep. Yeah, it's a relational issue. One is how we're relating to God. How is our prayer life? Do do we not just study the word, but let the word study us? Uh, You know, are we in regular fellowship with the Lord in prayer? And, uh, and then from there, as we examine ourselves before the Lord, do we have another you know, a group of guys around us, other elders perhaps, other pastors, that we allow to speak into our lives and you know to call us out if needs be, um, and you know to to keep ourselves in a place of accountability, to where uh, you know if we start getting sideways, uh, you know someone's going to come along and put their arm around us and go, hey man. Uh, you know, what, what's going on with this? Do, do we have those relationships where we can go to someone if we're struggling and say, hey, man, I'm dealing with this. Can you keep me in prayer about this? Uh, isolation for the pastor, for the elder is deadly. Uh, and, and I know and, and that I, makes a reason why plurality is so important. Right, Chris? It, it is. Exactly. It's, it comes right back around to that. You know, I've talked to pastors who have been so hurt and, you know, by by others and things that have gone on in the church that they kind of want to retreat and isolate themselves. And I said, no, no, you, you, you've got to stay in relationship with others. You, you have to have those other guys around you that are going to be able to pour into you and to, to speak into your life from God's word. And so I think from there, so, you know, your relationship of ourselves before the Lord, uh, relationship with those others around us, uh, in uh, in like position, because sometimes as pastors, uh, you know, I think it's good to have other pastors or other elders around us that uh, that we can speak to that might be able to identify with certain things that uh, uniquely are going to be the struggles of those who are in the office of, uh, of elder. Um, and then from there, from that place, from a good, healthy place in those two ways, we're going to be able to get in and relate with our congregations and be in fellowship with them. As it says, you know, we are to be hospitable. Um, we, we need to be there. You know, shepherds need to be among the sheep uh, and to do so in a way to where 
we are always discipling them by our life, by our words. We're always discipling them. You know, the, the, the responsibilities of a shepherd are things like we've already referred to is to feed, lead, protect. Um, these are all major important areas of, of, uh, of the ministry of the shepherd, but it all starts with knowing him. And it, and, it, and it starts with making sure I value people. Ministry is people. Don't miss yeah. that. And so that means if you're an introvert, you've got to find ways to connect with people. If you're an extrovert, you got to be aware that you're an extrovert and not all the people you're ministering to are extroverts because uh, you, <laughs> you can burn people out. But you need to know who you are. You need to know where your strengths are and you need to move towards trying to get to know people and, and to know your flock. Now, I don't know how um, you've seen it, experienced this whole idea of shepherding, but in a church of about our size, we're about 500 people, um, and in, in a church our size, we have to assign uh, people to shepherds, and and so we do that. Now, we have a, we have a deacon's ministry, and, 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 and each deacon has a series of families, and then two deacons um, are assigned to each elder. So an elder is with two deacons and all of their, their families. And that's how we do it. And so those elders are given the lists of those names and they're to, to seek those people out and to seek to build relationship, to seek to know. Why? So that they can feed those people, so that they can lead those people, so that they can protect those people. And if we're going to be good at, at, at the work that we've been called to, uh, the work and the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling and pointing people back to Jesus, reconciling people one to another. We have to know them. We have to know them. And to know them, we need to spend time with them. And I'll tell you, that is one of the biggest challenges as your church starts to grow, is as you start to grow, you get more people and you, and, and you have to seriously evaluate about bringing on more elders. But again, don't just grab anybody. It has to be qualified yeah. people. But the goal is to know them so you can feed them and lead them and protect them. Yeah, I think, you know, to, to put it another way, I think there needs to be a sense in which uh, eldership is admirable. They are thought of well amongst the people of the church and by outsiders as well. Uh, they need to be accessible. Uh, you know, they don't just disappear into a, a puff of smoke at the end of service and, uh, you know, nobody can ever get to them. Uh, they, they need to be those who people recognize. Uh, these people are approachable. They're friendly. Uh, they are loving. They are gentle. Uh, you know, I think all of those things need to be present as we go out and do that work of shepherding God's people. Because if people don't think that we're admirable, well, then that's a problem. <laughs> if we're not thought well of by people, uh, you know, and if we're not accessible, if we're always just kind of gone and far off from everyone— uh, then there's going to be no chance to build relationship with them. And they may get the sense you don't really like them. And if you're not approachable, uh, you know, if they think you're a jerk <laughs> or, or they're afraid to to come to you and talk to you for whatever reason, uh, again, you're going to have a hard time shepherding those people. And so I think that's three points of maybe that uh, need to be present in our uh, kind of our, our presence there among the flock. If you desire the position of overseer you desire a good thing mm -hmm. but don't be afraid uh as you as you desire that 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 you may have to be put through a little bit of a gauntlet 
not a little bit, a gauntlet <laughs> um, yeah. in, in our church. <laughs> be, because our church was working through revitalization, our church was working to become more faithful, more obedient to who God has called us to be. One of the areas we really had to work at was how elders are selected. And we had to walk through that and we've put some um, some hurdles in the process. We in our in our particular form of government, we have a nominating committee. That nominating committee brings names forward. Those names are then brought to the body, and the body um, elects its own elders. Um, in that process, though, we set a couple of requirements. One is anybody who desires to be in leadership must take the leadership class. The class goes through the basics of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It goes through the basics of the church polity, the church history. And there is a test at the end of that class. And just to be even able to be considered for that leadership, those men must 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 have taken that class. Once they've taken those that class, it doesn't mean you're automatically an elder. It just means now you've at least met that level of of of, of requirement. The next is if the committee uh, decides they want to talk to you, they'll invite you in for an interview. And in the form of that interview, some of the things they're looking for is your interaction with the people, the flock, your interaction with your neighbors, uh, interaction with you at your home, how you disciple your children. And we are looking for men that are uh, ministering and discipling others. And so you go through that interview. And then after that, then your name may finally be put on a list that's recommended to the congregation. Then the congregation has to affirm those things and vote for you. Now, is it a perfect system? No. There's probably still um, flaws that uh, exist even in our system, but it's a process. So just because you desire it and you desire a good thing, submit to the process. Um, Because I truly believe there is not only an inward call, there is an external call for elder. Um, And that external call is the church. And that's why for us, ruling elders are ordained um, and, and by that local body, uh, they're affirmed by that local body to serve that role. And so uh, that's the outward affirmation. The same is true of our teaching elders. The, the outward affirmation comes uh, from the local body that desires them to be their shepherd and the presbytery that that examines them. So there's an internal call and there's an external call. Kelvin dealt with all of this as he was dealing with uh, the uh, the ordination aspect of 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 elders because of when they left the church of Rome and the church of Rome was saying, basically they weren't, they weren't following uh, from the lineage of the bishops. And so they had to work through all that. And Calvin truly articulated well, the internal and the external call in that regard. And so again, if you desire it, if you're hearing this podcast today and you're saying, I really feel called to be an internal uh, internally to be a shepherd. And I think I meet these qualifications and I'm looking in the mirror and I want to disciple others be willing still to submit to the process and wait for the external affirmation. Um, Do you got any words to that, Chris? No, I think that's all great stuff. It really is a a process. And it's one of those things that as you enter into it, I mean, sometimes, you know, you desire that and you would very much like to serve in that capacity. But one thing I would say is don't try and force your way or push your way. Be be real, be honest, uh, and submit yourself to that process. Because the last thing you want to do is find yourself 
in a role or in an office of the church that you really are not called and qualified to be in. Uh, and so I always encourage guys, hey, you know, walk through the process and you may get a at the end. It may be a yes. It may be a no. It may be a not yet. Um, but regardless, uh, you, you want to make sure that uh, that is something that uh, the Lord is truly bringing you to and not that you are asserting yourself into. Amen and amen, man. Great discussion. I don't know. Uh, we could probably go on for hours talking about this discussion, but we do need to bring things to an end. And mm-hmm. so I'm just glad to be back at this. I finally feel like I got my house in order again. <laughs> and so uh, we're just looking forward to uh, as we continue over the next uh, several weeks and we continue talking about uh, aspects of, of eldership and other aspects of the ministry of the church. But uh, have a great week, everybody. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources, please visit confessionalcollective.com and be sure to like our Facebook page. Uh, I never went to college you. What do I call you? Friend, <laughs> relative, associate, associate <laughs> brother in Christ, uh, nar- uh, enemy. <laughs> Yeah, right, my right. confessional colleague. Yeah, there we go, my confessional <laughs> colleague. Let's see if a dyslexic, dyslexic can spit that out.